thank you for tuning into the More Doors podcast, where we give you the information and tools you need to grow your investment portfolio and make intelligent decisions about your financial future. Today, we're here with Zach Quick. He is a full-time self-storage owner and operator based out of Northwest Arkansas. He lives there with his wife and daughter and soon-to-be son, and he and his wife build up a portfolio of almost 30 units of uh, residential property before pivoting into self-storage. So we're going to hear from him about his journey today. Zach Quick, thanks for coming to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. So I think that your story is really interesting. You started out doing residential and you had, you know, over 30 doors. Then over time, you decided to pivot completely into self-storage. Um Why don't you just tell us all about that journey, how you got started and where the changes started to come and how you saw that this new path was the better calling for you? Sure. Um, So I guess to kind of go back a ways, um, I always kind of knew that I wanted to do some sort of um, investing or or, uh, small business ownership or something along those lines. Didn't really know exactly what that was going to be. So kind of did the stocks thing out of college um, and, you know, had a W-2. I was working at a uh, major retailer and kind of went up the ladder there. And anyways, long story short, my wife bought, my wife and I bought our first, um, we intended to do a house hack and ended up finding um, basically a garage apartment that kind of satisfied, um, uh, satisfied that, that itch, so to speak. And that was kind of our first purchase. And um, liked that, got really lucky with the first tenant. So that always helps. And, um, uh, kind of just dove into investing in, um, residential from there and got up to where, uh, over the course of, uh, between two and three years, we, we went from basically no units up to, uh, 28 residential doors. And that was primarily, uh, duplexes up to, we had one, uh, 12 unit apartment that, um, that we had bought and it was basically empty when we bought it and uh, poured a lot of time, sweat and money into it and, and got that up and performing. And so um, uh, basically we, we kind of uh, looked up when we got to 28 units and uh, I kind of felt stuck. Um, I knew I wanted to continue to grow. Um, just wasn't really sure how to do that. And, um, and I had some, some limiting beliefs at the time that I think I've, uh, more or less gotten past. Um, and so that, that had a lot to do with it, but, um, anyways, long story short, um, well, we were let on... me interrupt you for one second. Yeah, go so ahead. One question when you did have, when you were completely up and running and had all of your 28, uh, doors operating at full capacity, mm-hmm. like what was, what were you guys taking home, um, for, in terms of profit and how was that, how, how were you feeling stuck in that position? Uh, so to be honest, we weren't taking anything home. I mean, I think if we were pulling anything out of the business, we probably could have taken between, uh, I don't know, two and 3000 a month. Um, I still had my full-time job. My wife was still a full-time teacher. Um, you know, we were doing heavy, uh, value ads. And so it's one of those where you're, you know, you, you write more checks than you're getting, so to speak, especially at that beginning stages. So, um, it wasn't a, um, I guess more or less, it wasn't enough that we felt uh, in any way that we could take our, our foot off the pedal, so to speak. And so and so you had a lot of equity, but you weren't really bringing a lot, uh, you didn't have a lot of cash flow. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we were at the standard, you know, 
hundred to one hundred fifty dollars a door if we if we were going to to stop. Um, so I don't. So we weren't buying bad deals or 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 anything of that nature. But uh, but yes, I we um, yeah more heavy equity and and was trying to figure out how to leverage that into uh, into either a more equity and and b more cash flow. That makes sense. So then, um, if if it makes more sense to talk about this further on, but uh, go ahead. But I'd love to hear about those limiting beliefs as well. But you can keep uh, just go on, keep telling us your story now. Sure. Well, and I'll and I'll touch on those some of those there too. So, uh, all all twenty eight of those was just my wife and I's ownership. Um, we'd uh, you know scrimped, borrowed from four hundred one k, done four hundred one k loans, like you know, however possible to to make it to those doors. Um, and more or less, we were kind of out of out of any further expansion money at that point. And so um, we were kind of um, at a standstill regardless. And we were going to our th- our plans were to kind of let that 12 unit that I mentioned um, stabilize, um, get it full, get it rented. Um, and then our plans were to to basically sell that in 1031 into um, a larger apartment complex. Um, that was our initial plans. and. Uh, I was on a family vacation um, and was just kind of randomly looking out the door or out the window as my dad was driving. And um, I saw these bright blue self-storage doors. And, you know, I've you've driven by thousands of self-storage doors in my life and never really thought twice about it. And uh, for whatever reason, I legitimately felt like God was tapping me on the shoulder and saying like, hey, Zach, why don't you look into that? So, um Started doing a bunch of research, um, liked everything that I was reading and seeing, and um, did that for about a year, uh, and then started kind of compiling a, an owner's list. And we had just kind of decided, like, hey, I think, um, you know, maybe when we sell this 12 unit, maybe we should just use those funds um, and try and pivot into self storage. Um, and so that's more or less what we did. And then, um, we had sold off one or two other doors as well to kind of just build up some cash. Um, and then, um, yeah. So basically in August of 2018, um, we had, excuse me, in June or July of 2018, we had sold off, um, that 12 unit got a price that we were looking for more or less. And then, uh, we're in our 1031 exchange and we're kind of getting down to the wire. Um, to find a storage facility, got really close on a couple, um, and then found one, uh, spoke with the owner, shook hands. And then we, uh, basically at the end of August or beginning of September of 2018, we closed on our first storage facility. And, um, I guess fast forward to today, um, we now own and operate seven storage facilities in Missouri and Arkansas. Um, and we have sold every one of our residential doors. Um, and so we've, we kind of basically, uh, flipped a switch, sold all of them and have gone full fledged into, um, into self-storage, uh, to where we are now. So, um, yeah, there's probably, I probably skipped a few things there, but that's where we're at now. I mean, that is, that's very interesting. So you said that you weren't really making much cash flow with your residential, uh, with your residential assets, like how does your cash flow and equity look now that you have these storage facilities? Uh, night and day, um, if if I'm being honest. So I I am 
as I mentioned, we are doing this full time. Uh, my wife is no longer a teacher. I left my position um, last uh, would have been June of, of 2019. So um, a couple things we've we've uh, I feel like storage is kind of more or less spoken our language. It's a good mix of business and uh, real estate, which um, has kind of allowed us to uh, you know, some of the things that I had experience with and as a W2, and then also it allows us to work on the business every day. Whereas I felt, um, and again, I'm not knocking, uh, residential stuff by any means, but on some point, if you get a fourplex full, um, you're, you, there's not really a lot of value to be added until, you know, your next tenant is up due or your next lease or, um, whereas, um, where we feel like with self-storage, there's a lot of levers that we can pull um, more on an ongoing basis. And so I kind of like the uh, more active side of it. Um, but, uh, and, and a couple things too, um, I mentioned with our residential, uh, you know, it was just my wife and I, and now we've, um, you know, in order to grow the way we've wanted to, and commercial real estate is not cheap, um, that we've taken on a few partners, more or less silent partners, joint venture partners to help us grow where we're running the day to day. Um, but, um, but yeah, our, our equity and cash flow position is a lot is, has increased a ton, um, compared to what it was, you know, two and a half, three years ago. So. Very interesting. So the, um, using investors, how is that set up? Is it anything like a syndication or is it more just a general partnership? Um, I mean, how did you structure those legally? Sure. So um, the most recent one, which was the largest acquisition is, was a syndication. Um, and we kind of did that uh, jointly with a larger operator. Um, so that one was truly a syndication where we brought in um, truly passive investors, so to speak. Um, and then all the others primarily before, with the exception of the first one, which was just my wife and I, the others um, have basically been joint ventures. Um, so just my wife and I, and then another member as part of an LLC, um, we bring some money to the table, they bring a little bit more, and we do most of the sweat equity as in, um, you know, the day to day, if, if sweeping out the units, managing a person uh, that's sweeping out the units or managing the manager. Um, and then finding the deal, sourcing the deal. So, um, so a, a variety of whether that's a, uh, joint venture, so to speak, where there's not really a, um, uh, we're not, you know, it's not a syndication, whereas the second one or the most recent one was. So, um, so a variety, just our money, a joint venture, and then one syndication as well. Great. And so you said your cash flow is great. And you and your wife have both been able to quit your day jobs. And I, can I, uh, are you at, are you making more now than you and your wife were making when you were working actual jobs? Yeah. Well, yes. More take home for sure. Um, you know, obviously one of real estate has a lot of tax benefits that, um, more can flow through to your bottom line. Um, and so, so yes, more take home, a lot more tax benefits. Um, I let me stop you there. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who might be listening that might not know what those tax benefits are. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And I'm, I may refer you to my CPA if, if they want to ask more questions, but, um, you know, depreciation, um, is, is 
is one of the nicest things about owning real estate. Um, storage may be a little less so than others, but uh, because it's depreciated, depreciated as a commercial asset. So it's basically whatever your purchase price is minus your land cost is divided over 39 and a half years. Um, the government is basically giving you that as a tax break um, in, in that year so that you can depreciate it out. Now, obviously, you have to pay that out if you were to go and sell. But, um, you know, there's other things like um, a 1031 exchange like we did um, and intend to do for a few uh, in, the, in the future. And then also, um, you know, you can do things like a cost segregation, which basically front loads that um, depreciation um, on uh, from 39 and a half years and will front load a bunch of it to five years. So then, you know, in your beginning years of your investment are usually when your cash flow is the tightest, so to speak, or not as much. Um, you get to front load a lot of your tax benefits in those first five years. Um, and then so later, you know, you have a little bit less tax benefits. But at that point, you know, once you've owned the the property more than five years, obviously you should be cash, cash flowing a lot more um, in year six than you were in year one. So those are a few things. Hopefully that helps a little bit. But again, uh, there's a lot, a lot of information that a CPA can help you with there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to also mention, uh, as you alluded to, all of these tax benefits are also available for people buying you know, yep. residential properties, apartment buildings. It's not limited to self storage. Yep, and, um, and even and even honestly, more so um, for for apartment owners because that's kind of depreciated over twenty seven and a half years. So exactly. Um, but and then obviously one of the main things is like I I'm not paying a payroll tax, um, or I'm not getting a lot of the things if I was a W two employee that are taken out of my paycheck. Um, you know, if I'm just a member of an LLC that's taking a distribution, so. Um, yes. so yeah, that sounds great. Now I remember you, you mentioned that there were some, some l limiting beliefs that you had to get past in order to achieve your success. Um, and you never got around to talking about them. Would you like to speak to that a little bit? Sure. So, um, one of the biggest things is, um, that I somewhat touched on, but that, that my wife and I, you know, we were kind of in this bullheaded and me more than my wife, but that's the way of it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, that, uh, that we weren't going to take partners that, you know, it was just going to be our money, we were going to find a way to, um, you know, essentially hit a hit a this arbitrary cash flow number all by ourselves. And, um, and the reality is, like, you know, we probably could have kept going down that path and have got there. But, um, you know, you really can speed up your time uh, a lot by, uh, being open to partnerships. And that doesn't always have to mean just capital either. Like, you know, there are strategic partnerships where someone brings a certain skill set to a table that you may not have too. Um, so that would be one thing is that um, uh, that we're much more open to those kinds of things because, um, you know, the reality is we want to grow. And there are a lot of things that certain people are good at and or maybe they have capital and they're not sure exactly what to do with it. And you, you know, I ha we have a skill set in self-storage that um, that maybe they're interested in, but they don't have the time or the inclination to uh, grow or, or to really look into that. So that would be one. And then uh, secondly, is just that, um, 
you know, when you really commit to something that you can do it. And, and that sounds very simplistic um, because, you know, we were doing things, we were growing, but I think I had this very linear um, thoughts in my head, like we were going to sell that 12 unit for like a, a, you know, a 20 to 30 unit residential property. And we were just going to kind of, you know, slowly go up this ladder where um, I've kind of experienced. And as long as I'm open and know that, you know, larger deals are more or less the same um, work as, as smaller deals, uh, they're just bigger numbers. And so you kind of have to tell yourself and force yourself, like, just because it's a bigger number doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. Um, and I, I'm simplifying here, but um, that, you know, if you can do it at this level, then there's no real reason that you can, do, you can't do it at another level. So those are probably two of the biggest beliefs is that truly committing to like, Hey, I'm going to grow and I'm not going to limit myself by, let's say this great deal that, that seems like way out of my league falls on, falls on my plate. Um, I'm not just going to say, Oh, well, we, we can't do that. Or I'm, I can't do that. Like, you know, there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat um, when it comes to real estate, whether that be partnerships, capital, et cetera. Um, and so don't limit yourself to like be involved in some way, shape or form in um, in a variety of things. And also don't limit the impact that you can have um, on others as well. Yeah, that is such great advice. It's funny. I talk to a lot of I mean, just my friends, you know, I mean, for years, I've been trying to get everyone I know to invest in real estate because it's it's been so uh, beneficial to myself. And it's one of the reasons I'm making this podcast. Uh, and it's so hard to get people to even even make that jump into doing a real estate deal in the first place. And then what you're talking about is the next level, because I think it's just as hard to go from. Um, I don't have any real estate to, okay, I'm going to try to actually buy something as an investment and put the work in and be a landlord. Like, you know, that's a big leap, but it's, it's just as big a leap to go from that, uh, from no real estate to some real estate as it is to, okay, I have a couple of single families. I might have one or two multi-units like, but that next leap of, wow, okay, this is a 120 unit building, or this is a hundred door storage facility. I think it's a very similar psychological barrier where you're thinking, wow, that's just bigger than what I am. And I couldn't do that. But just as you said, it's such, such good advice. I mean, a big deal is the same as a small deal. There's just more numbers, maybe a couple more moving parts here and there, especially if you have to deal with like the legalities and legal structures of uh, partnerships and things like that. Um, but wow. Yeah. Great advice. I really, really think that people need to make that cognitive growth in their brain to get them from one place to the next. And no. it's, it's a constant thing. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. Just don't, um, don't limit yourself and don't get it in your own way. Like, um, I don't know, we all have that little voice in, in the back of our head, like, well, you can't do that. Like there's a reason so-and-so is able to do that because they have, you know, more time, more money, more experience, uh, et cetera. Like don't, uh, and, and I say that as someone like, I, I still have that voice. Everyone still has that voice. You just have to learn to tell that voice to 
shut up and sit down sometimes. So, uh, so, so yes, I think that that's, um, yeah, it's more mental than it is. I mean, real estate isn't complicated in itself. So, uh, you just have to kind of get past those barriers and, th- and this can apply to business too, not just real estate or anything. So, um, so yeah, just get out of your own way. Um, all right. Well, uh, I like to, we've kind of already touched on the answer to this question, but I, I wanted to uh, end this by asking you, what do you think your secret is to living a good life? Ooh, a secret to, I, I first and foremost, um, I would say my relationship with God um, and then having a great wife. Um, <laughs> those, those two things make for a great life. Absolutely. My, uh, my wife is, well, I could, I could talk for about a hundred hours. I can make a, I can make a podcast about how amazing my wife is, but, um, yeah, it's the best. So, okay. Thank you. It was really great to have you on the show and, um, you know, I hope we can talk to you again and see how things are going down the road. Yeah. Thank you, John. I appreciate you having me on and, um, and I'm an open book. If anybody wants to ever reach out, uh, Zach Quick, um, at, I'm on LinkedIn or Bigger Pockets. It's not, it's a, not a very common name, so I should show up. So thanks again. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Zach. So now let's recap what we talked about today. Zach Quick and his wife are investors that started out doing residential property and then found themselves in the world of self-storage. It turned out that it worked out a lot better for them financially and otherwise, and they ended up selling all of their residential property and just focusing strictly on self-storage through a mixture of partnerships and one syndication somewhere on their own. Now, I just want to highlight that Zach would be the first to tell you that single-family homes, multi-unit apartment buildings... These aren't bad investments, and just because they didn't work out for him don't mean they won't work out for you. There's so many different strategies for investing in real estate. Uh, Some people do wholesaling, which doesn't involve actually purchasing property yourself at all, and you can do this with no money down, though it does take a lot of work and time. Other people do house hacks where they'll live in their home for a time and then rent it out and move on to the next. You can do this with a single family home, a duplex, a quadplex, or even an apartment building. Some people might choose to go down the path of selling real estate and becoming an agent or a broker, and that can grow into a multi-million dollar career. The point is that there's more than one way to make money in real estate, and we're going to talk about all of them in this podcast. So just stay tuned and we'll get to everything that there is under the sun. If there's anything in particular you'd like me to talk about in one of my upcoming podcasts, you can contact us at moredoorspodcast at gmail.com with any input or requests. What I would like to highlight about Zach Quick's situation is that he found the self-storage, and it just seemed to click with him. He liked that there was a good mixture of business and real estate and he was able to partake in the business and run it sort of day to day whether it was managing the managers of his properties or doing work himself um he liked that level of control that he had over the day-to-day business 
and it really worked out for him and it was his niche. So the point is when you find a strategy that's working for you, double down, just keep going, expand and grow. And you'll find soon that you're an expert in your field and you can always expand to other things. But once you find something that works, that's the way that you grow and thrive is by concentrating on what works for you and finding what is aligned with your personality and your natural abilities and skills. Now, the final thing I just want to reiterate is that fantastic advice he had about those limiting beliefs that were that were keeping him from succeeding in the beginning. It's so easy when you listen to this from the outside to say, you know, I think that sounds like such a great idea. I wish I could do that, but no, I can't do that. That doesn't sound like something I could ever accomplish. It's, it seems like so much work. It seems like I'd have to learn so many things. Don't listen to that voice inside you that tells you you can't do it. I started investing in real estate. My first property, I was making maybe 20 grand a year tops and my credit score was below 580. And I, I learned what I had to do to increase my credit score. I took some steps. A month or two later, I was there. And even though I had this tiny, tiny salary, I was able to find a bank that would work with me and got the loan for my first property. And that property is now worth four times what I paid for it in 2011. So even if you think that it seems impossible, I know that there are steps you can take and things you can do to make your real estate ambitions a reality. So just keep that energy, keep that excitement, and don't listen to the little voice inside that tells you you can't, because you can. Thank you so much for listening to the More Doors podcast this week. We hope you've enjoyed our program, and we'll be back next Monday. See you then.